Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 830. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, the latest on the weather-related flooding in the state. What are Mississippians dealing with today? Then, what life is like for mentally challenged Mississippians in the wake of a U.S. Justice Department lawsuit against the state. The um, comprehensive and coordinated approach that we need to the issues that are in question is still in order or we feel we wouldn't have an action or a, a current lawsuit pending. Later, a visit from the experts of Everyday Tech on fitness and tech and getting food to those who need it in the capital city. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A state of emergency has been declared for four southwest Mississippi counties after heavy rains over the weekend caused flooding. Areas of Adams, Amit, Pike and Wilkinson counties saw floodwaters rise as rain inundated that part of the state. Some Mississippians have been driven from their homes. And with us on the phone this morning with the latest is Lee Smithson. He is the executive director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Welcome, Lee. Good morning, Karen. I'm sure it's been a busy weekend for you. It it has been a busy weekend, uh, especially in the southwestern part of our state, those four counties that you just mentioned. Um, But as bad as it's been for us, uh, our our hearts still go out to the people of Louisiana who were inundated uh, uh, much more than we were. Absolutely. Uh, what they say is is unprecedented flooding and rescues still happening there. I want to ask you because on Friday when we were t- you know trying to keep our listeners updated on where the flood emergencies were, the first one was in Osaka, and that was before Crosby, which is where I understand people are being sheltered because of heavy flooding there. But what about the folks in Osaka? Because that flood emergency went on for a number of hours. That's right, and, and then basically the entire town of Osaka at one point uh, was evacuated due to the high waters. The good thing for, for us in Mississippi, the way this rain event was, is it was flash flooding, so uh, the water went back down quickly. So in, in Osaka, people were able to return uh, back to their homes um, on, on Friday after the water went down. So the uh, same thing held true for, for the little town of Crosby as well. Um, they had uh, a pretty, pretty bad time uh, on Friday, but the water did go back down. So there were people who were starting to go and do their damage assessments of their homes uh, uh, as early as yesterday. What about water rescues? Did we have any of those in the state? We did, uh, and, and Osaka was where a lot of the um, um, rescues were. Uh, we had uh, a half a dozen swift water rescues um, in Pike County uh, on Friday, and uh, so we, we had, uh, um, you know, it was, it was pretty touchy there for a little while on Friday, but uh, fortunately uh, two minor injuries is all that we had. We've heard of help being sent to Louisiana as that situation continues. Still a very dire situation in that state. Are those uh, people who have been sent to help with rescues from MEMA or from other agencies? No, we had uh, um, two Swiftwater teams from the Gulfport uh, Fire Department that went over on Friday. And then about 15 minutes ago, two CH-47 helicopters 
from the Mississippi National Guard departed en route to Hammond. So right now, that's the extent of the uh, of the uh, Mississippi help that's in Louisiana. You talk about the waters receding, and luckily it was flash flooding, if there is a luckily to be said about the flooding in Mississippi. But what about rivers that are... Uh, well, are at their banks or above at this point. Yeah, we're keeping a very close eye on uh, on the Biloxi River uh, in Harrison County, uh, the Pearl River, and then the Tangipahoa River down in Pike County. But right now, it doesn't look like we're going to see widespread riverine flooding in Mississippi. Unfortunately, uh, that won't be the case for uh, um, for Louisiana and a lot of you know, especially the Tangipahoa River that um, was swollen in Mississippi is not causing problems for us, but it will down it will cause problems downstream in Louisiana. Tell us about the assessments that will take place starting today. We've got uh, uh, four teams that are out now heading uh, with the priority of Wilkerson County. We've got a report of 71 homes, uh, major damage in Wilkerson County, uh, and the majority of those in, in the little town of Crosby. Uh, so we're going to be out doing doing our assessments uh, in Amit, uh, Pike, Wilkerson uh, counties uh, this morning and um, and just see um, you know what what extent of help those folks need. We're already coordinating with the volunteer agencies, Team Rubicon, of course the Red Cross, um, and, 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 and as many as we can to get in there and start helping those people out today. There's a shelter open in Natchez, and I and I heard earlier that you expect that to be open in the coming days. Yes, we've got uh, 56 people, uh, all of them from the town of Crosby, including their mayor, uh, in the uh, in the uh, shelter in in Natchez. Last night we also had. Uh, about 20 more from Louisiana who had heard that the shelter was open, so they're in there. So we're going to keep that shelter open as long as, as it's needed because the people might be able to get back in and start cleaning their houses out, but until they're habitable, they're going to need a place to stay, and we'll we'll keep that open as long as they need it. Let me ask you finally, there is a chance of rain today and in the coming days for all areas of Mississippi, really. What will that do to these counties that are that are already stressed by all this flooding? Well, of course, it's uh, it's going to create uh, just continued misery for those folks down there. But uh, fortunately, the National Weather Service is not predicting um, high accumulations of, of rain for the rest of this week. So we're, we're 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 optimistic that other than some some cleanup in the rain, we don't see the the chances of more more flooding. Lee Smithson is executive director of the Mississippi Emergency Management Agency. Lee, thank you so much for being with us. My pleasure, Karen. Up next, what life is like for mentally challenged Mississippians in the wake of U.S. Justice Department's lawsuit against the state. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio is your voice for Mississippi. If you or your community has an event coming up and you'd like help spreading the word, send us an email You've got mail. to PSA at mpbonline.org. MPB is getting its very own car tag. But first, we need your help. To begin production, we need 300 of you to say yes to the tag. Go to mpbonline.org slash car tag for more information and also to sign up. A portion of the fee goes to help MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. Thanks for your help, and we'll see you on the road. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
Mental health advocates in Mississippi are speaking out about the U.S. Justice Department lawsuit filed against the State Department of Mental Health. The lawsuit claims the state is violating the Americans with Disabilities Act by not providing coordinated community-based care for adults. Angela Ladner with the Mississippi Psychiatric Association says mental health care isn't the same across the state. She tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the department needs to seek input from families, private providers, and other stakeholders to ensure better coordinated care. Our association is um, a group of psychiatric physicians who are providers of mental health services across the state. And when the initial um, letter that was sent to then-Governor Haley Barber came out in December of 2011, our organization was referenced by name in the letter as a group that was concerned with some of the issues that the DOJ was looking into at that time. And now we're nearly five years have gone by since that initial inquiry. And yes, we've made some changes as a state, but the um, comprehensive and coordinated approach that we need to the issues that are in question is still in order or we feel we wouldn't have an action or a a current lawsuit pending. What do you see as the problems? Our first goal, of course, is service to patients. But what we realize is that there are a lot of constraints within state law and systems. The way that a a, a person is able to operate or access what they need um, is dependent on the environment in which they operate. And so I think what has been missing is a patient-centered and evidence-based approach to good outcomes. And um, we were going to constantly advocate for a proper system so that any patient that has a brain disorder is never held in jail, that they have access to 24-7 crisis intervention services, that they can access medical needs and get treatment within 72 hours of the moment that they go into crisis, and that we can reduce readmissions that um, result from inadequate coordination of care at the community level. So people are being put into state hospitals, emergency rooms when something happens. Correct. Typically what happens is um, a patient could be under a court order or they could, they could just be in crisis and their family identifies that and takes them to um, a medical facility. And depending on what county they reside in and where they are accessing their entrance into the system, their level of care is different. And what we're saying is that's just unacceptable. There needs to be a cross 82 county consistency in where you enter the system and the services that you can access once you need to access services and that you should not be removed from your community in order to access those systems because everything that you love and all of your family and the comforts that you uh, live in your normal life are right there. Why should we have to take you from that level and take you to um, another perspective unless it's absolutely necessary? For lay people who haven't experienced this, what would be an example of some of the things that folks' families would need? They, first of all, need to be able to um, have help no matter what time of day or night that this um, incident occurs because when someone has a crisis with a brain disorder, they didn't ask to be born with this brain disorder. They they came here just like nobody asked to get cancer, but it happens. And so we have to be able to deal with and create a system of care that is not based on body parts. We find there's much inconsistency when we are dealing with something that has to do with the brain rather than equal and fair when they deal with another body part. Say someone uh, has a bipolar disorder 
order. Yes. What services do they need in order to be able to handle that situation without going to the hospital? Well, ideally, if anybody finds themselves in a a crisis situation or a a time of highest anxiety when they need medical treatment and they need help, it is critical to get them a medical plan in order within 72 hours of the moment that they realize that they're in crisis. And why do we keep saying 72 hours? It's because there is data that shows that within the first 72 hours of an incident, if a patient is not treated properly, brain damage further occurs. MPB's Desiree Fraser with Angela Ladner of the Mississippi Psychiatric Association on how the state provides mental health care. Up next, a visit from the experts of Everyday Tech on fitness and tech. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The new MPB Public Media app is available now. Watch MPB TV, listen to MPB Think and Music Radio, and stay in the know with MPB News. Search for the MPB Public Media app in the App Store and Google Play stores today. A eulogy for the VCR and the BlackBerry keyboard and a death wish for another tech device. I think the fax machine should stop being made. Why some tech is easy to part with and others not so much. It's just ridiculous. I hate that stupid thing. Saying goodbye to technology later on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. I'm Sharita Brent here with Ashley Jeffcoat, Digital Media Director for MPB. And this morning we're going to be talking about fitness and wearable tech. Ashley, there are a lot of technological advances now. So not only can you work out, you can calculate your calories and calculate how many steps you're taking and how many miles you're walking and things like that. So we're going to talk about some of those wearable items. Um, Are some of the most common ones like a watch or something? Yeah, the watch is the most common. It is the best and easiest by far and away. That's if you go to buy a wearable, you're probably going to end up buying a watch. Mm-hmm. Um, or it, some of them look more like bracelets. Very attractive now. Okay. Sleek. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that's that's definitely the most wearables you'll buy. They are worn on the wrist. And I imagine they're like waterproof and just designed to survive the elements. Yes. Most of them are made to be um, like sports watch, any kind of sports watch level. That's what you're looking for in any of these wearables. So when you get a wearable, what should you be looking for? Is it going to have a stopwatch on it? Is it going to have a mechanism where it counts your steps? So the way a lot of these work is that the device itself does the tracking and then you actually look at it through an app. Oh, okay. So um, especially when you're looking at some of the most popular ones, those will be the uh, Fitbit really is kind of the top line, but Garmin also makes some. Misfit is very well received. Um, and these will track whatever kind of stats you buy. And depending on the device, it'll track some different things. But you'll be able to look at these through an app. Mm-hmm. And that's how you can find out, like, how many calories am I burning? Where have I run? Where did I run? If you get, like, one of the Garmins that have GPS enabled in them. Okay. So as far as price, how much should one look at when it comes to paying for things like that? Is If you see one a price is really high, should you be alarmed or could it be worth it? It could be. Oh. Um, some of them, if you're looking at one of like the Garmin's are pretty expensive. But the reason for that is a lot of them have GPS built into them, which makes for a pretty 
intense little thing. It it can actually keep track of where you are, not just what you're doing. Okay. So, so if you get lost running in the woods, it'll help you get oh, back. Yeah, yeah. Right. You'll be able to find your way home. It'll be fine. Okay. Um, And like the one I'm thinking of specifically, the Garmin Forerunner, which is kind of like their top of the line, it's really expensive at 500 bucks, but it also gets like 11 days worth of battery, Oh, which is pretty good for something like that. Um, But yeah, you're, typically you'll look at spending like... There's a huge range. You can get a very basic Fitbit for less than $100. Okay. It's not going to do a whole lot, but it will connect to an app and it'll help track things like your steps, which Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, that's all you need. That's really all you're looking for. But um, the more feature-rich device you're looking for, the more you're going to spend on it. So I was going to ask about the charging process for these things. Uh, Does it take a long time to charge up something like a Fitbit? For the most part, they charge very quickly, less, less than 30 minutes, mm-hmm. because they're they're very tiny batteries, and when you're not actually using them, it charges up, like, super-duper fast. Okay. Now, for folks like me who don't have a Fitbit, but I have a phone that I listen to music and podcasts and things while I'm working out, what could I get so I don't have to hold it in my hand? That's the problem, is that there's not a lot you can get. I, I mean, see some phone, people have patches yeah, on you their can, arms. You can get the patch and put it on your arm, but it's still not going to track nearly as accurately as an actual wearable device will. Mm. And in that, it, you really are only going to be looking at tracking steps. Okay. Some do heart monitor, but to do the heart monitor, you have to actually hold it in your hand for the mm-hmm. phones that do support that. You're not going to get anything worthwhile. Most of the time when you see people wearing their um, thing on their arm, their phone or whatever, they're listening to music. Okay. You don't want to stick it in your pocket or anywhere where it might get damp from the sweat. Right. That's not good for your device. Right. And we'll talk a little bit more about that working out with your tech and how to stay fit with various tech on Everyday Tech, the show, which is coming up this Wednesday morning at 10. So be sure to listen. You can send us an email before or during the show to everydaytech at mpbonline.org. For Ashley Jeffcoat, I'm Sharita Brent. This is Everyday Tech on Mississippi Edition. Thanks for listening. If you're print impaired, MPB's radio reading service is here for you. Our dedicated team of volunteers bring the world of news and entertainment to you. For information and to see if you qualify, call us at 601-432-6301. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. One in every five Mississippians faces hunger, according to the nonprofit group Feeding America. This is the worst hunger rate in America. While many programs and efforts are in place to fight hunger in the state, some students at Jackson State University are taking food straight to the people. Tomorrow, the crop drop will give away fresh fruits and vegetables on a first-come, first-served basis. The crop drop will be at Blackburn Middle School in Jackson. We spoke with Heather Wilcox of JSU about the giveaway. A crop drop is a gathering of excess crops dropped off at a central location, and this location is at Jackson State University, Um, and students will bag um, produce and distribute to the community. Now, they're going to drop about 20,000 pounds of food, sweet potatoes, Irish potatoes, corns, watermelons, and it's going to be distributed to the community for free. Actually, all you have to do is drive up. We want to make it as easy and accessible to the community as possible, so the location is at um, 1311 West Pearl Street 
Street, uh, right off the Dr. Robert Smith Parkway. And so we're encouraging um, the community to just drive up, slow down, stop. The JSU students will put the produce in your car, um, in your trunk or your back seat, and then all you do is just drive off. No questions asked. And um, if you're picking up for a resident, then we can definitely make sure you would get two bags of produce uh, because we want to give the food out, um, all of it, by, by the end of the day. This is tomorrow from 8 to noon. So and you ha- and all the students are volunteers. All the students are volunteers. It's part of New Student Orientation Week. Um, all of our students will be turning back to campus, and of course, all of our students have to have 120 hours of community service before they graduate. So this is the New Student Orientation event for them. So they'll get community service hours, but it's also a way for them to actually get introduced to the community that's around Jackson State University. So we anticipate about 150 to 200 student volunteers. How many people are you expecting to come get? <laughs> Some, well, some dropped uh, off. <laughs> well, if we have about 20,000 pounds of food and if we bag 10 uh, pound bags, we anticipate about 2,000 bags of food. Oh and so we really would like uh, to give out 2,000 bags of food to roughly 2,000 residents. Um, that's our goal. Now, if we have leftover food, we do have a backup plan. We're going to donate it to the Mississippi Food Network. Um, and so that is our backup plan. But uh, essentially, we really just want the community to come out to meet the students and for the students to meet them um, and anyone in need of this produce um, we want them to be able to just tell get us it. about the producers who are who are donating all of this well uh, uh, this is again the Society of St. Andrew the gleaning America's field feeding America's hungry it's their program and they go across crops um, in the state of Mississippi and they ask you know the the um, farmers if they have excess crops that they would like to donate uh, just depending on their crop depending on what they was able to to yield that year, a lot of times that they are able to go ahead and get rid of the rest of their crops before they plant um, for the next season. So um, they go across the the state of Mississippi, and we kind of c- gather what we can, what um, is available, and that's how we're able to get that amount of food. How are you able to get the food from some part of Mississippi to Jackson State? Actually, there is a small cost associated with that that the university will pay for, and that's just the transportation of the produce itself, the potatoes and a dump truck. And we usually split that cost with the Society of St. Andrew. It's usually less than uh, $500. And so um, for this amount of produce, and and we don't charge the community for the food, uh, we think it's a a, a valuable um, investment for the community. Now, why potatoes, watermelons, and corn? Is that because that's where the excess is? Yes, exactly. And so it just depends on uh, what the excess crop is. And so uh, we may not get as many watermelons, but we definitely Definitely, we'll have plenty of Irish potatoes and sweet potatoes um, to, to give out, and corn. Yes. So you have essentially your side dishes, or even your main meal and dessert with the watermelon. Absolutely, <laughs> and we just feel that it's a great um, opportunity to help the community with stretching their budget. You know, especially during back to school time when you have to buy new uniforms or or you have to get school supplies. Sometimes you just don't have those extra funds, or or you rob Peter to pay Paul. You know, and so we want to be able to help stretch the grocery budget um, this month, and that's um, another reason why we're doing this project called the Crop Drop. Tell us the time again and the specific location. So it's Tuesday, uh, August 16th um, from 8 a.m. until noon, and it's um, the location is 1311 West Pearl Street. 
Well, what a great idea, and it sounds like it benefits an awful lot of people, the students who need those community hours and uh, and the people who are going to get some great food. Heather Wilcox is the Neighborhood Development Assistant with Jackson State University. Thanks, Heather. Thank you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up, it's Deep South Dining. Now you're talking with Marshall Ramsey and Southern Remedy. If you missed part of the show, there are several ways you can listen. On our website, mpbonline.org. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring Trustmark Deposit Express. ATMs for business. Through the MPB Multimedia app or search for Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. You can subscribe to the show right there, and it is very easy to do. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi Edition only on MPB Think Radio. Marketplace Tech for Monday, August 15th. I'm Molly Wood, filling in for Ben Johnson. It is unclear whether